Welcome to the Faith Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Pastor Carrick Butler II. We believe today's message will empower you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Here's today's message. Amen. So I take eyes to see. I take ears to hear. I forgive everybody of everything. I receive supernatural debt cancellation. The Word of God that I'm about to receive will enable me and empower me to make Jesus famous in my everyday life. Well, you may be seated. Open your Bibles with me to Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 11. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 11. If you have the Version Bible app on your phone or on your device, I encourage you to open it up and look for the Blessing Brings Overflow Part 3 under the event section and save those notes to your device. You can follow along with me in my notes. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 11. And so we began the overflow series in April, and it's overflowed to June. In this series, we've talked about how God wants you to overflow in hope, overflow in encouragement, overflow in the grace of God, overflow in favor, overflow in his wisdom, overflow in every good thing, overflow with the Spirit. And so what we started doing at the first Sunday of June We've been talking about how God wants you to overflow in your finances. Amen? So we're picking up where we left off last week. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 11. The modern English version says, The Lord will make you overflow in prosperity. Anybody receive that? Say, The Lord Lord is making me overflow in prosperity. And the offspring of your body and the offspring of your livestock and the produce of your ground and in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. And the King James says in verse 12, the Lord shall open unto you his good treasure, the heaven to give the rain unto your land in his season and to bless all the work of your hands. Say all the work. And you shall lend unto many nations and you shall not borrow. As we said in the months prior, the word treasure means treasure house or a storehouse. One version calls a well stock storehouse. And another version calls it sky vaults. Simply, a storehouse is where you keep abundance. It's a storage facility or a warehouse for what you cannot currently store in your house. God has a storehouse in heaven, and there are things there with your name on it. I go to Psalm 31, verse 19. Psalm 31, verse 19. Psalm 31, verse 19. I'm going to do some review and get to where the Holy Ghost has for us to go today. Psalm 31, verse 19. Psalm 31, verse 19. Notice it says, Oh, how great is thy goodness. As we defined in the months before, that word great means abounding, abundant, and exceedingly. Abounding, abundant, and exceedingly. That word goodness means prosperity, good things, property, supply, provision, good in the widest sense of the word and good to the farthest extreme. So he's saying, oh, how great, abounding, abundant, exceedingly is your prosperity, your good things, your property, your supply, your provision. You're good in the widest sense of the word. You're good to the farthest extreme, which you have laid up and reserved for them that fear or reverence you. But notice it doesn't stop there. It says, which you have wrought for them that trust in you before the sons of men. So what God has laid up in abundance for you in that heavenly storehouse is not supposed to stay in heaven. It's not for you to enjoy when you get to heaven. 
It's for you now on this earth in this time. As Jesus said, you're supposed to pray that, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What's in that storehouse you're supposed to experience in your life. That goodness that has been reserved, that prosperity, those good things that have been reserved and laid up for you should be manifesting in your life on an everyday basis. Amen? Now, in the weeks prior, we said the tithe is our connection point to the outpouring of the blessing. We said continually tithing puts us in a position to continually receive an overflow of the blessing. So it's not spotty tithing where I tithe this Sunday and I'll go a few months after. Now, the thing is, people say, well, I only tithe once, so I got the blessing. That's true. But imagine that you poured some water on the suit. The suit would be slightly soaked. A couple days later, it's not going to be soaked anymore. Right? Now you can say, but I poured water on it. Oh, that's great. There's a lot of Christians try to operate with the blessing. Well, I tithe once, so I got the blessing. But has it dried up? Are you in a place where you continually receive a pouring out of the blessing? So instead of going from emergency to emergency trying to connect with the blessing, you're staying in a place where the blessing can bring you to a place of overflow. We said there are different levels to the manifestation of the blessing. And there are different amounts that can be active in your life. There's different levels and there's different amounts that can be active in your life. We also said in the weeks prior that sexual immorality, strife, and words of doubt can short-circuit and limit the blessing from working at its highest level in your life. In the weeks prior, I gave you some homework. Because we said, in the blessing, gathering is required. Just like Isaac and Joseph and the disciples with Jesus, they would not know they had overflow and great abundance if they didn't go out and gather. A lot of people, they sow seed and they miss their harvest because they do not go out and gather. They actually receive harvest and don't realize it's harvest because they're not paying attention to it. So we said for gathering, we said, number one, look for sales. Number two, look for opportunities and investments. Number three, look for discounts of the things you already normally buy. Number four, if you have loans with bad rates, look to refinance with a better rate. Number five, look for unexpected income and gifts. As you look for these things, write them down. Write down how much you save from the sales, the discounts, the refinancing, and the et cetera. Total it. Write down the opportunities and the investments that you take advantage of. Write down your profit. Write down the unexpected income and gifts that come in. Now, what are you doing? You are not just writing down random things. You're writing down your harvest. A lot of times, we see blessings come in. It's like, oh, God, thank you for that blessing. But we don't realize it's harvest. And so you'll go beyond and spend it. And forget, like, oh, God, where's my harvest? He already gave it to you. You already spent it. So a lot of people say, oh, I'm believing for my bank account to be filled with plenty. Well, that's great. But you need to take the harvest he's been giving you and put it in your bank account. Don't just expect one day I'm going to open my account and it's going to be full. Now, that would be amazing if God did it. But more than likely, it's going to come from the harvest you receive that you put aside every day. So we have to pay attention to the harvest God brings in. Because you go to a store and go, wow, what I was going to buy, everything's on sale. Everything's discounted. And so you buy it, and then you go get extra stuff. You just spent your harvest right there. Now, what you could have done is taken what you save and put it in an account that you don't touch. Do you know what you keep doing that on a regular basis? It's going to keep growing. Oh, pastor, I'm saving for a rainy day. Stop thinking about a rainy day. Save for an investment. Save for an opportunity. 
Because a lot of people in this country make money when the economy goes down. Why? They were prepared. You know how the church can advance and prosper in this nation? When the economy begins to fluctuate, the church starts buying businesses. Because it's a very true statement. Who has the gold makes the rules. You want to make better rules? You want more justice? Get the gold. Because once you have the gold, you don't got to protest. You don't got to say nothing on social media. You just make the decision. But we must be wise and pay attention. So examine your life. Write this down. Because one of the things is as you write it down, you're going to increase in gratefulness because you realize that sowing seed actually works. Because a lot of people expect that if I'm going to get a harvest, someone has to walk up to me and give me that money. That's not always how God does it. So you need to write it down and pay attention to your harvest. And I've heard testimonies people say, I started doing it, and I've now realized all these great things that God has done, and he did extra on it. What is it? It's your harvest. Don't miss out on your harvest. Last week, we also covered that through the wisdom of God and the favor of God, God wants you to reap your harvest. So there are times God will give you wisdom and cause you to be able to save greatly. Other times he'll give you wisdom and show you where to invest. The wisdom of God is key because Proverbs says prosperity ruins or destroys fools. But if you have the wisdom of God and you receive prosperity, it will enhance you, not destroy you. And God will give you favor that affects decisions people make for you. So if you weren't here last week, I encourage you to get those notes, or you can download them for the website or the podcast and catch up with us. But we can get into some new material today. In order to experience overflow, you must believe or have faith that the Father has a supply. In order to experience overflow, you must believe or have faith that the Father has a supply. Because if you don't think the Father has a supply, you won't really believe him for harvest. You'll take your faith down to what you can do, how hard you can work. Now, yes, you should work hard. Yes, you should perfect your abilities. But you also must have faith in your Father's ability to supply. Go to Genesis 14. Genesis 14, verse 18. Your heavenly Father has a supply. Your heavenly Father has a storehouse. And there are things there with your name on it. But you must have faith that it's actually there. Now, oh, pastor, that's great. That's a great philosophical point. I believe there's stuff in heaven for somebody. You got to believe there's stuff up there for you. And that there's stuff that can manifest in your life. Don't say, oh, that's only for pastor. Now, there is stuff with my name on it, and I'm receiving it on a daily basis. But you must have faith that there's stuff up there for you, for your kids. So when your kids want to do something new that's going to cost a lot more money, you don't freak out like, well, my heavenly father has a supply. My heavenly father knew my kids wanted to be in a thousand five different activities. And my God has a supply for me. And one of the things you can do, teach your children how to use their faith. We were teaching at youth camp, and the kids had a tremendous time at youth camp. We'll show you the testimonies later. Every teenager heard the voice of God. They all heard God talk to them, every single one. And so when the first lady was ministering to them, she made a statement and said, you know, you can use your faith to get the shoes that you want. You just saw those kids' face. We can what? 
So later that night, I said, I heard you guys were surprised by that statement. So how many of you guys want me to teach you how to use your faith to get the shoes you want? They pulled out notebooks so fast and pencils. Come on, let's go. And so we taught them how to use their faith to receive those things. And so one of the things you want to encourage your kids and teenagers to do, use your faith. Now, don't be surprised and say, well, I told them to go before how to use your faith, tell God what you want, use your faith for it, and pray. And if he tells you to go sow a seed, go sow it. So don't be surprised if a child says, well, God told me to go take this thing he bought me for Christmas and give it away. Don't be surprised. Don't be shocked. Don't go, I stood in line for five hours. Let them work their faith so they can receive a harvest. Do you know what happens if you have a kid that learns how to use their faith as a child and perfects it as a teenager? Those kids can go to college for free. You better encourage them using their faith. Genesis 14, verse 18. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God, so bring forth covenant materials. And he blessed him, Abraham, and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And he blessed be the Most High God, which has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave them tithes of all. So we see Abraham tithing to Melchizedek, the priest of the Most High God. So go to chapter 15, verse 1. What happens right after this? We know this is Abraham after he returned from defeating the enemies that came against him. It was an impossible victory, but he won with only the people in his house and took down five armies that, were, that took down armies beforehand. If they were the biggest army of the day, and they were, and no other kingdom could resist them, how could Abraham and his friends take him down? The blessing of God. The blessing of God taught him how to fight, and the blessing of God came upon them and gave him victory. So Genesis 15, verse 1 After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. Because a few verses before, the king of Sodom came and says, Look, Abram, I'll give you a lot of money, but I want you to give me these things. Now, we already know the king of Sodom is a very wicked man. And the only reason the king of Sodom is free and survived the victory is because Abraham came and rescued his kingdom. So he's trying to cut a deal. King of Sodom actually comes in and tries to interrupt Abraham while he's tithing. You have to result. There's certain spirits that will try to operate to get you, get in between you and your tithe. And so Abraham replies to him, I ain't taking nothing from you, so you can't say you made me rich. So what are you saying? You're not going to get the credit. My God is. So after Abraham makes that statement, God says, I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. That phrase, exceeding great reward, in the Hebrew means rapidly increasing money supply. Abraham, because you tithe and made that statement that I'm going to make you rich, I want you to know that I am your shield and your rapidly increasing money supply. Say, my God is my shield and rapidly increasing money supply. Go to Genesis chapter 17, verse 1. Genesis 17, verse 1. Notice what he says to Abraham here. And when Abram was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. So we look in 15. Abraham just did something right. You get to 17. This is after 13 years after some mistakes he's made. But notice how God addresses him. 
I am the Almighty God. Or in the Hebrew, I am El Shaddai, which means I am God all-sufficient. It comes from the Hebrew word, just means to shed or to pour out, meaning I am the God who pours out blessings, who gives them richly, abundantly, and continually. I am the God who pours out blessings, who gives them richly, abundantly, and continually. John Wesley says about this name, I am God all-sufficient. The God with whom whom we have to do is self-sufficient. He has everything. He needs not anything. And he is enough to us if we be in covenant with him. We have all in him, and we have enough in him, enough to satisfy our most enlarged desires, enough to supply the defect of everything else, and to secure us happiness for our immortal souls. This name also means he has the power to do all good. All sufficient is defined as sufficient to everything or infinitely able. So this name depicts God literally as who is sufficient in granting mercies and who has sufficient power to give whatever is necessary. For one of these Bible commentaries says the title Shaddai really indicates the fullness and the richness of God's grace and would remind the Hebrew reader that from God comes every good and perfect gift. That he is never weary of pouring forth his mercies on his people, and that he is more ready to give than they are ready to receive. Bountiful expresses the sense most exactly. El sets forth the might of God, and the title Shaddai points to the inexhaustible stores of his bounty. This name in Hebrew also points to the imagery of a nursing mother. As long as the baby makes a demand, there will be a supply of milk. Now, moms, I'm not a mom, so more power to you. (laughs) You know that process. And you can't think up, I'm going to make milk right now. But when that baby cries, whether you are ready to feed them or not, something begins to happen. The supply begins to come. You have to understand there is a cry of faith that attaches to the Father's supply, that no matter where you are, if you release that cry of faith, there will be a manifestation of the supply. So El Shaddai, he is the one who has the supply, and as long as you make a demand, there will be a supply. So he is the God who is more than enough, the one who has the supply, and the all-powerful, all-sufficient God. You must have faith that your God has a supply and that you're not in this by yourself. Go to Genesis 22, 14. 22, 14. We know this is a story when God told Abraham, I want you to offer Isaac before me. Now, people say, well, how could a loving God ask Abraham to offer his only son? You have to understand Abraham and God were in covenant. And when you're in covenant, Whatever one party is willing to do, the other party has to be willing to do. So in order to get Jesus into the earth legally, God had to have a man that was willing to offer his son. Abraham was that man. He brought Isaac. And Isaac, he's been to many sacrifices. Some commentators say he's between the age of 13 and 40. As they're going up this mountain, Abraham told the guys who came with them, me and my son will return again. First words of faith. Then Isaac asked him a little bit later, I see the rope, I see the knife. 
Where's the sacrifice? Really good question. And Abraham says, God will provide himself a lamb. Second words of faith. They get to the top of the mountain, and Abraham ties down Isaac on the place of sacrifice. Now, he's between the age of 13 and 40. Isaac could have fought him off. Oh, man, you better get your hands off me. You better sacrifice yourself. He ain't going to be me. So Isaac is also willing. Isaac is also obedient. So just like the heavenly father was willing to offer his son, the son had to be willing to offer himself. Why? They're in covenant. So Abraham is getting ready to offer Isaac, and God appears and says, hey, don't you touch him. He reminds him of his covenant promise. And in the bush, there was a ram that was offered in his stead. But Abraham did not say God will provide him a ram. He said God will provide a lamb. So the faith of Abraham and his belief in his covenant opened the door wide for Jesus to come. So John the Baptist in John chapter 1 says, Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the supply of God that takes away the sins of the world. Because God believed that, because Abraham believed that God would supply, your Savior could come in the world. So what did Abraham say as a result of this in verse 14? And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh. As it is said to this day, and the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. The name Jehovah-Jireh means the God who sees and provides. So you don't have to ever pray, God, do you see what's going on? He already sees it, and he's already provided. Because this storehouse was already packed for you before you ever entered into this world. But notice, Abraham didn't just call God Jehovah-Jireh. He named that place Jehovah-Jireh. See, you have to get so confident in God's ability, you start renaming things. So when a situation comes to pass, you know that God has already handled it. He says, well, this is my Jehovah-Jireh. Because in this situation, God will see and he will provide. So I'm not calling it the place of my lack anymore. I'm not calling it the place of my pain anymore. I'm not calling it the place of my affliction. Because you can be like David and say, I will be fruitful in the place of my affliction. So instead of naming things your pain, name them your promise. When Benjamin was born, he was named by a different name. Because his mother died in childbirth, she called him son of my pain. But Jacob did not want that name to follow him the rest of his life. So he called him son of my right hand. You have to learn how to rename your problems, to rename your situations, to rename the drama in your life. Stop calling them what you see. Call them what you want them to be. What does faith do? It calls things that be not as though they were. Stop calling your marriage filled with problems, call it filled with joy. Stop calling your bank account empty, call it filled. Stop calling your children crazy, call them raised in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. Rename your situations, because you can have what you say. You're the prophet of your own life. You don't like what you see today? It's a manifestation of what you've been saying. Change what you're saying. Don't just talk faith at faith. Talk faith every day of the week. Don't let your words contradict your prayers. Because you believe one of those things, and more than likely you believe your words. Your words have to line up with what you're praying. So your words and your prayers have to line up to the Word of God. 
So he is Jehovah Jireh, the God who sees and provides. Go to number 11, verse 21. Numbers, Numbers chapter 11, verse 21. God and Moses are having a conversation. The people were complaining. The people were whining. We're tired of these donuts from heaven. We want some meat. Well, God, we were still in Egypt. We'd have this meat. We'd be slaves, but at least we got some fried chicken. <laughs> so Moses comes before God. And God says, I'll give them meat. There'll be so much to be coming out their nose. And Moses was like, look, I got 600,000 in the army alone, men. And you tell me you can feed all these people with flesh, he says, that they may eat a whole month? Shall the flocks and the herds, all of the things we have, be killed for them to feed them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to suffice them? He says, if we took every fish that's in the ocean and gave it to them, that's still not enough of these people. And the Lord said to Moses, is the Lord's hand waxed short? The message version says, so do you think I can't take care of you? Another translation says, when did I become weak? You're looking at situations in your life, God, I don't know what you're going to do. God's like, when did I become weak? You may be weak, but when did I become weak? When did my power become not enough? When did my ability become not able to handle your situations? Moses, you about to see if my work comes to pass or not. Your God has a supply, and he's not weak. And even though you may see yourself as weak and unable, you can hold on to what the apostle Paul says, when I'm weak, I'm made strong because his grace is sufficient for me. So even when you're weak, God has a supply so you don't have to stay weak. Your God hasn't lost his power. He hasn't lost his supply. He has not become weak. So he calls the wind to blow, and all these birds flew in. Cause fried chicken to come from heaven. <laughs> you think, well, how can God solve my situation? He can just make the wind blow. He's got a thousand five ways to get you out of your situation. You can't even think of three. But God's got a supply. And he knows how to take care of his people. You must have faith in God's ability to supply and cause you to live in overflow. I like what I saw this tweet from Bill Winston this week. He says, as far as God's children are concerned, everything is done and paid for. Faith is the way you transfer it. Faith is not hard. Just believe God more than your circumstances. Just believe God more than you believe in your circumstances. Because a lot of you believe your circumstances can take you out. Take that faith and put it in God instead. Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So by your faith, you can grab things you can't see. You can't see that storehouse. But by faith, you can grab what's in that storehouse and bring it into your life. So where does faith come from? Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Romans 10.17, amen? There's no such thing as faith that does not come when you hear the word. Every time you hear the word of God, faith is coming into your heart. As I've been preaching these last few minutes, faith has been coming into your heart. You can say, oh, I didn't feel it. If you're going to be a faith person, you can't base your life on feelings. Feelings can't be your God. 
So the word of God is true. So as you heard the word, faith came in your heart. So right now, faith has been built in your heart to grab things from heaven. So what do you do? You keep listening to this message. You keep listening. You keep listening. You keep listening. You keep letting faith build, 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 and build, and you change what you say. He says, well, pastor, the faith hasn't gotten strong enough to change my mouth yet. Then be quiet. Or people are going to be thinking strange that I'm so quiet. Let them think you're strange. Keep your mouth right. First words matter. Something rises up. Oh, I got to say something. No, you don't. Just be quiet. So I won't say it. I'll post something. Don't post it either. People lose money because they run their mouth. Loose lips sink ships. Is your life sunk because you've been running your mouth? Have you put your own self in the sunken place? Because you've been running your mouth. Well, Pastor, I didn't say anything about me, but have you been running your mouth on men of God and women of God? Ooh. I thought the Bible was touching up my anointing through my prophets and the harm. But we forget about that in the age of information and social media. I'm an American. I can say what I want to say. Yeah, you can and get the same results. Watch your mouth. And don't speak on things you don't know the full situation of. It says a wise person will be known by their few words. Because even a fool will look smart when he's quiet. So if you want to look quiet, you want to look smart, just don't say anything. You could not know anything about the situation. Just Interesting. People are like, oh, that's the smartest person I know. You're just smart enough to be quiet. And we have to get to that place that we don't just run our mouth just because we can. But we're wise enough to know how to control our mouth so we can receive what God has for us. Go to Philippians chapter 4. God has a supply for you. Philippians chapter 4. God has a supply for you. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. So we know faith is how you tap into that supply. James 1 tells us faith without works is? So faith without corresponding actions is dead. So faith is not just a concept, spiritual force in your heart. It must be followed up with your actions. It must be followed up with your words and what you do. Philippians 4, 19. Everybody loves this verse. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches. That word means abundance. So according to his abundant supply, his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. God will meet your supply by his abundance and glory. God will meet your need by his supply. But you need to back up to verse 15 to see why these people got this promise. It says, now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but you only. So after Paul was supernaturally delivered from the jail by the earthquake, and he got the jailer and his family saved and people in the prison saved, when he was released, he met with other disciples in the city, and he went to keep on preaching. So all these people who got saved in the jail, who got saved in Philippi, and the jailer, as soon as he left, they said, let's help Paul out. So they sent him an offering. So communicated also means partner. And since no one communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but you only. Notice not just giving, but it's also receiving. 
It says, for even in Thessalonica, you sent once and again unto my necessity. So they sent at least two times. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. The Amplified Classic Edition says, I am eager for the fruit which increases to your credit, the harvest of blessing that is accumulating to your account. The message version says, but I do want you to experience the blessing that issues from generosity. So verse 18 continues, but I have all and abound, I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So they got this promise because they were givers. Not just giving once, well, we gave because Paul was here. Even when Paul wasn't there, they still gave. Which lets me know you're not just supposed to give when you come to church. Pastor, I should still tithe even if I don't come to church because I'm on vacation. Do y'all still want the church to be here when you come back? <laughs> People are like, well, if I don't go to church, I don't have to tithe. Where do you see that in the Bible? Church still goes on whether you're here or not. So that means you tithe whether you're here or not. And we made it really easy. You can text to give. No matter where you are in the world, you could be laying on the beach. Oop, I haven't tithed yet. Wake up. There you go, Jesus. Because <laughs> if I want to continually to receive harvest, I'm not just going to give when I come to the house of God. Of course I'm going to give when I come to the house of God. I'm continually going to give. I'm continually tithing, continually giving offerings, continually sowing seed. Why? Because I want to continually reap a harvest. I don't want my harvest to stop when I'm on vacation. I want to reap some harvest while I'm on vacation. I want the, the favor to manifest in such a way that so we, we don't know why we're just upgrading you to the best suite, the first class experience. We don't know why we're doing this. You don't have to know why. Just I'll follow you right now. <laughs> so we don't take a break from spiritual principles. We don't take a break from giving. We don't take a break from tithing. We continually do these things because we see it in the Word of God. Your God has a supply. By faith, you tap into the supply, but you also tap into the supply through your giving. Proverbs eleven twenty four and 25 says, There is that scatters and yet increases. There is that withholds more than its meat or more than they should, but it tends to poverty. So people think, well, if I hold on to everything I get, I'm going to be rich. But Proverbs says there's somebody who holds on to everything and they go broke anyways. Verse 25 says, the liberal soul shall be made fat. It's like, Pastor, I don't want to be fat. But that's not what that verse means. The Amplified Version says, the generous man is a source of blessing and shall be prosperous and enriched. And he who waters will himself be watered, reaping the generosity he has sown. The New Living Translation says, the generous will prosper, and those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Another version says, whoever gives to others will get richer. Or blesses others will be refreshed. Those who help satisfy others will themselves be helped and satisfied. Your giving and your generosity taps in to the supply of God. Paul said in Galatians 6, if you sow sparingly or reap sparingly. You sow bountifully, you reap bountifully. If you want to reap bountifully, you have to sow bountifully. Don't say, well, I sowed stingily, but I believe for an abundant harvest. You're going to get a harvest. It's just going to be a stingy harvest. 
God already did more than you can ask or think because you probably should have got less than what you got. That's why Luke 6.38 says, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet, with all it shall be measured to you again. The Amplified Classic says, For with the measure you deal out, with the measure you use when you confirm benefits on others, it will be measured to you. So think about this. You think, well, I haven't received the harvest I wanted. Check your measuring cup. Check your giving cup. It's like, well, I've been faithfully giving my Baptist dollar. Well, you've been faithfully receiving the harvest off your Baptist dollar. However you give is connected to how you receive. Amen? So there are spiritual principles and spiritual laws that always work. Another version says, your measurement of generosity becomes the measurement of your return. We are to be generous people. So when we tithe, we know that's 10% off our gross. Our offering is above that. So we're to be generous in our offering. We're to be generous in sowing seed. We should be generous when we tip people. Don't go to a restaurant today and say, well, I already tithe to Jesus, so what makes you think you should get something? Be generous with your tip. And I didn't say it because they did a good job. Some of you got real quiet on that one. <laughs> when I go places, it doesn't matter what they do. They get at least 20%. People like when I come to restaurants. I went to a restaurant with my dad this week. We had a pre-Father's Day celebration. They really like when he comes to restaurants. We walked in that place. Everybody knew him. How you doing, sir? Good to see you. Why? Because he has these conversations Hey, what do you need today? Let me bless you. It has nothing to do with how well they did. But now, because he's known as a person who blesses, they give him stuff that's not on the menu. I was sitting at the table, and I'm like, where did this come from? I'm like, oh, they know you're a blessing. Think about when you go to restaurants and say, I'm not just going to eat. Go to be a prosperity agent. Let your tip minister to your waiter or your waitress. You know they don't make a lot of money from that job. Says, well, no, I'm going to be used by God to help meet their need. I don't care if they got a stank attitude. I don't care if they look at me nasty. I don't care if the kitchen messes up my order. See, y'all blaming the waiter and the waitress because the kitchen made a mistake. I'm going to minister to this person with my tip. Because the thing is, if they see you're generous, they want to know about your Jesus. If you stingy, they, mm -mm. that's okay. You can take your Christian stuff out the doors. Where's the drunk people? At least the drunk people give me a nice tip. <laughs> but if you're generous, people want to know you're Jesus. You go to the same spot often enough, they're looking for you when you come to the doors. You know, I used to go to a certain place where I get my caffeine, bless the Lord. And they knew my voice. I pull up to the drive-thru. Hey, Carrick, how you doing today? And so, when you're ordering it, you don't usually tip. But I decided, well, I'm going to bless the guy who normally bless, takes care of my coffee. So, I gave him a Christmas present. Gave him a card. He wasn't there. I said, make sure he gets it when he comes back. I pull up next, to the next time. Dude, thank you. That was so generous. Why? I'm a prosperity agent. 
I'm looking to bless people. They gave me something that says, no, this is really strong today, so your sermon's going to go even quicker today. <laughs> but I want to be known for being a blessing. Why? Because if I'm generous with my giving to God, generous with my giving to people, my harvest is going to be super generous. And you say, well, you have this mindset because you're a pastor. No, I have this mindset This because of how my parents raised me. See, one of the things is, yeah, my dad worked for churches sometimes, but a lot of times he was an entrepreneur or worked in corporate America. My mom's worked in corporate America. Majority of time I've been alive. And so one of the things they would tell us, and I remember them saying even more in our teenage years when we hit our 20s, our family exists to fund the gospel. We are here to fund the gospel. We must make more money so we can give more to the gospel. We have to start new businesses so we can fund the gospel. This is what was drilled into us. Not just tithe, give generously, give far beyond so that you can fund the gospel. So we're raised that we have to prosper in whatever arena we're in so we can fund the gospel. So me and my brothers are all in different fields, but we're going to prosper so we can fund the gospel. It's what we hear continually. You have to make money so you can fund the gospel. You have to make money so you can pay that thing off. So it's not just going into a place where I'm going to contribute to this giving campaign. No, I'm going to finish that giving campaign. It's the mindset we have that we're going to prosper. We're going to give above and beyond. I remember one time when I think I was a teenager and I had a certain children's minister who was my children's minister for the majority of my kid years. And they said, you know, Bishop's been teaching about giving. And being a blessing to those who've been a blessing to your kids. He says, well, has that minister been a blessing to you? I said, yes. They said, good, because we're about to bless them. Why? Generous. It's not tithes. It's not offering. It's we're sowing a seed. Even when I remember, because, you know, I'm the oldest child. And so even though they wouldn't talk about it, you know, the oldest child, and you get to a certain age, you know when things are tighter than they used to be. So I even remember when times that were tight, they didn't back up on their giving. I'm not just talking about to church. I'm talking to other people. They're coming to offices and just bless people with stuff. So we always have a return coming because we've already sold generously. You have to be generous with your life if you expect a generous harvest. You know, there's some of the people, you know, they talk about on TV, some of the preachers I've gotten to know personally. And they're some of the most generous people I've ever met. They, try, they almost try to outgive each other. And they keep doing that, they're going to keep receiving harvest. You have to be generous with your life. Be generous with your giving at church. Be generous whenever you go. So, well, pastor, I can give that generously when I go to a restaurant. Don't go. Some of you got really quiet. (laughs) If you're not prepared to tip them above 18%, don't go. Because that's also part of your bill. Don't just go, so, well, I got a dollar today, so that's what they get. You're not a prosperity angel. You're not being a blessing. And if your God is one who blesses, you have to be children who bless. You have to be generous with your life. You have to look for opportunities to bless people. Because if you're always looking how to give and how to bless people, do you know what's going to happen? God is going to support your habit. You get addicted to being generous, God will support your habit. He'll use you to bless people because he can trust you.
So he'll bring things to your hand that's for you. He says, hey, that's for you. You enjoy it. He'll bring things into your hand and say, hey, I couldn't get it to someone else through the normal way, so I'm giving it to you. Now you go bless somebody. It's like what Amy Simpleman Fierce says, all Jesus is looking for is someone who can reach up, reach up in heaven by faith, feel around to the treasure chest of God, get out a treasure, and bring it down here and give it to someone that can't get it on their own. You have to prosper and learn how to prosper under the blessing so that you can help people who can't prosper under the blessing. Because when you do that, that's a witnessing tool. That's why Deuteronomy 8 says, when everything you have is multiplied, your silver and your gold is multiplied, you go in the houses you didn't have to build, all these good things are happening to you. Don't think it's your power, your ability that got you this wealth. Remember, I am the one who gave you power to get wealth. What is that power to get wealth? It's the blessing. He says, why did I give you power to get wealth? So that my covenant may be established as I promised to your forefathers. What was the promise? You look at Genesis 12, 1 through 3. God told Abraham, I'll bless those that bless you. And in you shall all nations of the earth be blessed. The heart of the covenant to Abraham was every nation being blessed. Now, we said Genesis 1, 28 in the weeks prior. It's the perfect will of God for all, men, for all mankind because the first words man ever heard were the blessing. Because that God blessed him and said unto him. So when man was created, he said, be blessed. So the first words Adam ever heard was be blessed. Then he said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. This is the blessing. The blessing is be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. The blessing calls you to be able to do that. And that blessing is the Great Commission. Because Jesus says, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to preserve all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with thee always, even to the end of the world. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. It's the same as go and make disciples of all nations. Working under the blessing, gathering, wisdom, favor, and generously supporting the kingdom of God, and fulfilling your purpose of winning the lost are ways to experience the overflowing life God has designed for you. If you set yourself like, you know what, I'm going to be generous with everything I do, and I'm going to look for opportunities to win people to Jesus, the blessing will increase on your life. See, so many of us, we come to church with the purpose, well, I'm going to get a word from heaven. Well, that's good. You should come to church and believe that you're going to receive a word in due season. That's right. But you also have a mentality, well, who can I bring to church so they can get saved? A lot of the times we can become word people, but we forget about winning the lost. We're so focused on getting the word and growing the word, we forget that there are people going to hell. And one of the reasons we are to overflow is to snatch people out of that lifestyle going to hell. We talked about last week believing for such favor that the heathen just want to be close to us. They don't even know why they want to be close to us. They don't even know why they want to talk to us. They don't even like Christians. They don't even like church. They don't even like Jesus. For some reason, the heathen want to be close to us. And we use that favor and we bring them to Jesus. See, the blessing will enable you to win people to Jesus on a whole nother level. Because Malachi 3.12 talks about after the blessing is poured out on your life, it says, all nations or all the heathen shall call you blessed. The blessing can be on your life so much that the heathens start talking. The heathens start testifying. Man, those people are blessed. 
Like it says in the Psalm, the Lord has done great things for them. So when the heathens start talking about the blessing on your life, they start talking about that your God's been good. You start telling them, well, my God will be good to you too. So now the blessing, your prosperity, is a witnessing tool. It's a witnessing agent. You can share the gospel with them. But what's the gospel, Pastor? Galatians 3.8. God preached the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In you shall all nations of the earth be blessed. Hey, you got a lot of things going on in your life. Don't worry. There's good news for you. You can be blessed. He says, well, you don't know what's going on with my children. It doesn't matter. You come to Jesus, your children can be blessed. Man, you don't know what's going on in my marriage. It doesn't matter what's going on in your marriage. You come to Jesus, your marriage can be blessed. You don't know what's going on in my body. It doesn't matter what's going on in your body. You come to Jesus, your body can be blessed. The gospel is the blessing. And we have to be people that are about our Father's business of winning the lost. It's not just okay for us to sit up in the ivory tower going, well, we're going to heaven. We're growing in the Word. We're filled with the Holy Ghost. That's great. Who else is going to heaven because of you? When you get to heaven, is there anyone who can say, well, I got there because they came? Or is it just you showing up by yourself? Ooh, I made it. Well, I'm glad you made it, but who would you bring with you? See, there should be a testimony part in heaven when people say, well, I got here because of them. And not just because of preachers and prayer warriors. But because believers went out and looked for people to win to Jesus. And not just on outreach days when we sent out the outreach team, our SWAT team. But you look in your life for people who aren't saved. Now, you've been saved for a long time. Most of the people in your circle have already gotten saved. So that means when you go to the store, you're looking for opportunities. You're looking for someone to say something. Oh, I'm new to the area. Oh, you're new to the area? I got a great church for you to come to. You can even ask them if they're saved or not. You know, someone did a poll that says majority of Americans will go to church if someone asked them. They said, well, I haven't gone to church. Well, no one's invited me. They said, I feel awkward if I show up without someone inviting me. Go out and invite them. They said, well, I'm not even a Christian. That doesn't matter. Come on anyways. See, I want the love of God so strong in this place that people feel like they belong before they believe. I don't care what religion they're in, what lifestyle they're in. Just come here. Your experience, God. Your experience is love. Your experience is presence. Your experience is word. Because we get dedicated to winning people to Jesus and growing them up. God blesses us even more. But we have to look to be agents of prosperity, look to be agents of the blessing. So you keep going to this place and prospering people and being a blessing and ministering to people with your tip, and they're open for you to pray with them. You say, hey, is there anything going on? You see someone either, oh, they just look like they got issues. <laughs> they just look like they need Jesus. I don't even need discernment or anything. They just look like they need Jesus. Not even Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> Here's what you do. Right before you're praying over your food. You tell them, don't worry about your tip. We're going to take care of you. Don't have to worry about that. We're about to pray over your food. Is there anything we can pray with you for? If we pray, we know God's going to hear and take care of you. Because normally they say, well, you can pray that I get some good tips today. But you tell them, I'm already going to give you a good tip. You don't have to worry about that. The door is open. So then you can keep some church invite cards with you. Don't give a church invite card if you're going to be stingy. And be rude. 
and be nasty. You might get spit in your food and the people try to come spit on the church. No, we ain't having that. Open up with love as you minister to them with a tip. Include them in your prayer. Give them a good tip and give them a car and invite them to church. They might say, oh, I ain't coming. But you got enough people doing that? This is that faith Christian center. They tip people well. I want to go see what's going on there. Because now we've done our job and the Holy Ghost can work on them. They go to sleep and they see a picture of that invite card. I threw that thing away. You know you really need to come there. Oh, I can't go to sleep. You know you really need to come there. Oh, I can't go to sleep. You have to do your part and let the Holy Ghost do his part. But we can't just be, well, we came to church and we prayed. No, we have to be out doing the Father's business. We have to look how to win people to Jesus like never before. We have to be about our Father's business. Jesus is coming soon. We need to act like it. Don't think, well, Jesus is coming soon, so I'm going to escape. Well, no, Jesus is coming soon. Get people to go with him because you're blessed. He says, well, I'm walking the blessing. I'm being fruitful. I'm multiplying. I'm filling the earth. Remember, God told us this year to focus on fruitfulness. That's the fruit of the Spirit, but that's also bearing fruit for the kingdom of God, getting people saved. You might say, well, I only got saved a month ago. I don't know what to tell them. Just tell them Jesus saves and bring them to church. He said, we can learn together. We can grow together. They ask you questions you don't. I say, I don't know. But you can ask my pastor if you come to church. Just put it on me. And if I don't know, I know how to find out. Bring them. Don't just invite them. Bring them. You give them car. Oh, I'll come to your church. Okay, what day? Oh, you know I had car trouble. I'll come pick you up. See, I like what T.D. Jake says. He says, if you actually brought people to church in the car you bought, God might like you pay it off. So you know what? God just blessed me with a car. I'll pick you up in it. You got people in your life, and you can cook. Don't offer this if you can't cook. <laughs> don't, po- don't poison them and believe for the healing line to heal them of your cooking. But say, hey, if you come to church with me, I'll get, I'll get you a great meal afterwards. Look for opportunities to win people to Jesus. It's called bait. We're fishers of men. Put out some good bait. Bring people to Jesus. You're blessed to do so. You be generous with your giving and generous with your life and look for how to win people to Jesus. You will prosper like never before. Because when God goes, puts money in your hand, he knows not only will it bless you, not only will it take care of your needs and the desires of your heart, but you're going to bless the kingdom of God and you're going to use it as a witnessing tool to bring people to Jesus. We must win people to Jesus. We must actually act like Jesus is coming back. We must actually act like that there is a hell, because there is. And don't let them think, well, well, I've done a lot of good things. Baby, it's not, it's not about what you did that was good. What will you do with Jesus? And then those people in your life, those people you come across, every morning you pray for them that Ephesians 1 prayer. That God opens their eyes. That God softens their heart. You command the devil to let go of them. Now, don't in public while you're at the restaurant. Grab their hand. Say, let go of them in Jesus' name. No. You can handle that in your own prayer closet. You can use your authority to say, you let go of that person in Jesus' name. And so you treat people like they're potential children of God. And so I meet certain people that are in my life because of different interactions I have with them. People are like, oh, what do they believe? Well, they're temporarily a Muslim. Temporarily a Buddhist. Temporarily an atheist. Why? Because there'll come a day 
they're going to know my Jesus. So I don't treat them like, oh, they're lost cause. No, it's just temporary. They'll be shouting to Jesus and talking in tongues in no time. But you got to look to win them. And don't think, well, to win people to Jesus, I got to be perfect. No. Because if you wait to be perfect, you can never win anyone to Jesus. They say, well, you're not perfect. Yep, I got issues. But so do you. So let Jesus work on us together. I'm not judging you. You don't judge me. Let Jesus do what he needs to do in both of us. And let God keep working on you. And you live this way, people will test you. They really will. Why are they testing you? They want to see if your Jesus is real. But you keep living before them, walking in love, forgiving everybody of everything. They want to know your Jesus. So before you go to work in the morning, so I forgive everybody in here. So whether they do anything to me, it doesn't matter. Whatever you practice, you will perfect. Practice forgiveness. I forgive everybody in here, Father, I ask you to forgive them too. So they do something to you, it's like, I already forgave them. You go into restaurants, I forgive everybody of everything. I forgive everybody in this place, Father, I ask you to forgive them too. Because you realize now my life is an assignment. I can win people to Jesus because I'm blessed. I got the favor of God, I got the wisdom of God, I got the spirit of God. Amen. I hope you enjoyed today's message. We never want to close a broadcast without giving you an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. So if you've never asked him into your heart, you've never made him your Lord and Savior, pray this prayer with me today and mean it from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he died for me, but on the third day, you raised him from the dead. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me now. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your spirit and help me to live this Christian life. If you prayed that prayer and meant it from your heart, we believe you've been born again. We ask that you email us at info at FCCGA.com. That's FCCGA.com to let us know about the decision you've made for Christ today. Have an amazing day.